Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Fear and panic. That's what the media are doing to this country. If you look at a site called Mediaite or a site called The Drudge Report, if you watch CNN, MSNBC, if you listen to some of these so-called experts as opposed to others. But before we came on the air, I was talking to uh, Mr. Bedus or Mr. Kalskarin, and I said to them, what exactly have these governors done? to help the people in their states. The hospitals, the doctors, the nurses, they would have acted in a pandemic. They're heroes, they're professionals. That's what they're trained to do. They would have acted in a pandemic anyway. Would have been all hands on deck. The schedules would have changed. What exactly did these governors do? President of the United States had to provide the additional ventilators and masks. Another PPP, or is it PPE, depending on who you listen to. The extra hospital beds. Most of the press conferences for most of the governors, certainly in the uh, blue states, was about panic and fear and demanding things they didn't have. And didn't prepare for. What exactly has Governor Cuomo done? Not all the bureaucraties and the talking, but what exactly has Governor Cuomo done? Or did he do? To improve the healthcare situation of the people in New York while this pandemic took off and is still going on. I mean, we've, we've led the fight here to expose him. And I want to thank uh, all the cable outlets and radio outlets uh, who followed along and, and gave uh, attribution to this program. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? They're all waving around a, an order that we found, I found online, that they never even found. But anyway, that aside, the decisions that Cuomo made killed people. Killed people. Almost 40% of the people who have died from this virus have died in and around New York City and northern Jersey. And almost 30% of them died in nursing homes and assisted care facilities. And Cuomo and Murphy and others put the most vulnerable among us at risk. But I'm... Seriously, I'm sitting here, you listen to all the reporting and all, you read all the writing and go on, and, and, and I'm wondering, 
the vast majority of these guys, what, what did they do exactly to improve the treatment, the efficiency, the provision of health and medical care in their areas? Almost nothing that I can think of. All they pretty much have done, have, they have used their police forces to impose lockdowns. Lockdowns of churches and synagogues. Lockdowns of small businesses. Lockdowns of entire neighborhoods and communities. For which they are to be praised, according to the media. And any effort to undo these lockdowns, the media asks the question, how many people will die? Why, are the lockdowns preventing people from dying? We just saw, in the case of New York, Cuomo just said, and we'll play it later, 60% of the people who've died were in lockdown, were at home. In other words, when they sent kids and college students back to their homes, some of whom might have been carriers, by the way, with their parents and grandparents, that had the reverse effect, didn't it? That never made sense. Dr. Ioannidis from Stanford told us that early on. Dr. Katz from Yale told us that early on. But I'm quite serious. Shuffling paper, shuffling around resources, demanding federal interference, demanding federal this and federal that. What did most of these governors actually do to effectively address this pandemic? And the answer is virtually nothing. This is why the media and these Democrats are wedded to the lockdowns. That's all they've got. They can't point to anything else. And they will insist over and over again, despite the fact there are many scientific experts out there who disagree with Lord Fauci, among others, that you lock down the wrong people. You don't lock down all the people. You lock down the most vulnerable people once you figure it out. But it's very difficult for Cuomo to take the boot off the throat of New York City and his entire state. It's very difficult for Newsom to take the boot off the throat of his various metropolitan areas, but in the entire state. It's very difficult for Murphy, all these guys, the clown in Michigan. They haven't done anything medically or healthcare-wise to confront this illness in any significant way. But exercise something akin to martial law. Now, I know I'm the point of the spear when I raise these issues, like the death toll would not be anything near what they said, that many more people have the virus and are asymptomatic than is being reported, which, of course, brought down the percentage of, of uh, death. And, of course, death is a, it's a terrible thing. So it's not something that, uh, that's to be taken uh, in an unserious way. But that's not the point. The point is the information we've been given. But I really do. I scratch my head and wonder what these, uh, particularly these liberal Democrat governors, what exactly did they do? They pride themselves on 
forcing people to stay home. They pride themselves on shuttering businesses. We're not going to open any business or we're not going to do anything that's going to affect the lives of anybody. We're we're just not going to do it. We're not ready to open. We're not going to do it. Because they're praised. This is all they've done. They've taken out the brass knuckles of government and punched everybody in the teeth. This is also why the pandemic of all the other illnesses, whether it's heart disease or strokes or cancer and so much more, and the number of people who are sicker today than they otherwise would be, the other people who are dead today, who might not be dead, had they gotten the treatment they needed, is never discussed. We have the CDC, the NIH, we've got the this and the that, we've got the states. How many people have died from non-coronavirus illnesses since January 1? Is it significantly more than last year? Exactly how many hospitals have closed? Exactly how many hospital beds have been lost? Exactly how many doctors and nurses have been put out of business since January 1? You can't find this information easily. Because the New York Times is too busy trashing Trump. The Washington Post is too busy trashing Trump. And they're all too busy trashing any governor who dares to open up their state. And they're doing it slowly. It's not like, let it rip. They're none of, nobody's doing that. The governors that have had an authoritarian, even fascistic impulse are the ones that are praised by the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, and their sycophants and cable network and satellite news. President was asked today by a reporter I like. You know, you've said now that, you know, we need to do more to open the economy and so forth. What if there's more deaths and more illness? Now, that is based on the assumption that if we have more deaths and more illness, it's because it's because more people are free to live their lives. But why is it based on that? We were just told by Cuomo that 60% of the deaths occurred by people who are hunkering down. And we know the people at the, in the uh, nursing homes and assisted living facilities are the most vulnerable of the entire population. Why are they opening businesses? Furthermore, this virus, it's not you snap your fingers and people die. It takes, in most cases, every case is different, but in most cases, when you look at the data that they're giving us, It takes 10 to 14 days. It could take 21 days. So you see an increase in deaths. It's not because of anything any governor has done lately. And here's the other point. There's nothing else the government can do. Whoa, Mark, what did you... There's nothing else the government at any level can do. Nothing. What are you saying, Mark? I'm saying the truth. And if I'm the first to point it out, so be it. There is literally nothing else the president or this task force can do. There's literally nothing else a governor can do. 
They can do harm, as Cuomo has done, and other governors have done horrific, deadly harm to populations in this country. But there's nothing else they can do to protect us from this virus. It's going to take a vaccine, which may or may not develop. It's going to take some treatments, which may or may not develop. All of which, even when working with the government, all of which are going to have to come out of the private sector. The pharmaceutical companies, the labs, and so forth. But there's nothing else a governor can do to protect us. This is a deadly virus. Now, the president has taken steps for which he was attacked to try and protect us. And he's done so more than any governor in any of the states. When it comes to immigration, when it comes to travel, when it comes to red China, when it comes to Europe, filling the voids that states had for instruments, for medical wear, and on and on and on. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the Democrat, they have no plan. They have no idea. There's nothing else the government can do. All they want to do is spend money. All they want to do is spend money because the vast majority of their base relies on the federal government for its sustenance. The vast majority of the Republican base does not. And so spending us into oblivion enriches and rewards their base. And that's all they care about. They'll burn down the country in order to get power. They don't care. And so they keep pushing fear and panic. The New York Times, we talked about this yesterday, is leaked a so-called report that hasn't been vetted, that hasn't been tested, that even the CDC itself, from which the report came, distanced itself, said, oh, well, that's not a final report. But the New York Times got it. It talked about 3,000 deaths a day, starting in June, I believe. And they headlined this thing. Why? They didn't have all the facts. They didn't have all the facts. Fauci denies it. Burks denies it. Why did they do that? Fear and panic. If you sow fear and panic, people will give up their liberties. Ask your neighbors. Talk to them. Many of them are frightened to death. And in order to have fundamental transformation, the centralization of government, all these progressive, radical progressive ideas of a minimum income for every human being in the country, taxing wealth, subsidizing states and their pensions and their overspending, destroying the vote, anything you can think of, funding Planned Parenthood, taxpayer funding of all abortions. These are all proposals that have come out of Nancy Pelosi as she is the House of Representatives, as we know. Fear and panic. Look at, look at Cuomo. He's an incompetent buffoon. 
Yet he's very popular in New York right now. Look at Newsom, an incompetent buffoon, very popular in New York right now, in, uh, in California right now. Maybe New York too, for all I know. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I'm not going to bring on the governor of Texas or the attorney general of Texas to tell us what we already know. That Shelley Luther is a political prisoner. That a left-wing judge threw her in prison because she dared to open her salon because she needed to feed her kids and the people who work there need to feed their kids. We will hear what Judge Eric Moyer had to say. Many of you have heard it, many of you haven't. And we will hear what Shelley Luther has to say in response, a Dallas salon owner. Shelley Luther, as my man Daniel Horowitz points out at Conservative Review, is a civil rights hero. She will be hated by the media and the left. If she were out there going to prison over illegal immigration or over an LGBTQ issue, she'd be called a hero. But here she is. A lady who stands up against the system, stands up against the court, peaceably, civilly, for opening her salon. And the judge throws the book at her. A week in prison and $1,000 a day. And I want to pursue this further as only I can. We'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics 
are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. This is America's Constitutional Convention, The Mark Levin Show. Call in now, 877-381-3811. All right, I want you to listen to this. We'll get started. This is this judge, Eric Moyer. Many of you have heard this, but many of you work and maybe didn't hear it. Uh, and this is a judge who's about to throw the book at Shelley Luther, who's a Dallas salon owner, opened her business. She made the point, look, we're doing all the mitigation strategies in terms of distance and masks and gloves and so forth. But I got to put food on the table. I got to keep my business open. I have other people who work for me, stylists. They're going hungry. They're going under. Here's the judge. Cut one, go that you now see the error of your ways and understand that the society cannot function where one's own belief in a concept of liberty permits you to flaunt your disdain for the rulings of duly elected officials, that you owe an apology to the elected officials whom you disrespected by flagrantly ignoring and in one case defiling their orders which you now know obviously apply to you. That you understand that the proper way in which in in an ordered society to engage concerns which you may have had is to hire a lawyer and advocate for change, an exception or an amendment to laws that you find offensive. That you publicly state that this is the way that citizens in the state should behave. And that you represent to this court that you will today cease operation of your salon. And not so reopen- let's stop it. So he basically wants her to get on her hands and knees and beg for mercy for opening her own store and mitigating. Apologize to the state, apologize to the politicians, confess the errors of your way. Go ahead until after further orders of, this, of the government permit you to do so. This court will consider the payment of a fine in lieu of the incarceration, which you've demonstrated that you have so clearly earned. Is there anything that you would like to say? She so clearly earned it. This is why so many of you detest the judiciary. Because just like some of these governors... The power goes to their heads. He didn't say, look, ma'am, I understand your situation. Even if you agree, uh, don't agree with what she's doing. I understand this is a problem. I understand so forth and so on. But we have this order. And by the way, I don't even know where these orders come from. I don't even know the constitutional basis for these orders. I think when we're done looking at the casualties here, we'll see the dead. We'll see the injured. And we'll see our liberties in the Constitution. And by the dead and the injured, I don't mean the laser focus on coronavirus. I mean the fact that there's no focus on heart attacks and strokes and cancer and other people who are dying as a result of decisions by these governors. Go ahead. Let's do cut two. Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws and that I've never been been in this position before, and it's not some place that I want to be. 
but I have to disagree with you, sir, when I when you say that I'm selfish, because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision. But I am not going to shut the salon. And she represents millions of people in this country. Articulate, strong, respectful, an American, a red-blooded American. Daniel Horowitz of Conservative Review. Shelley Luther is a civil rights hero. An individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. Martin Luther King. Now we know why states, writes Horowitz, have released thousands upon thousands of murderers, child molesters, drug traffickers, and burglars from jails and prisons. They needed to make room for women like Shelley Luther, who are simply exercising their rights to earn an honest living, while not even creating large gatherings, unlike your local Walmart or Home Depot. We all know deep down in our hearts that what's going on with our government is illegal, illogical, immoral, and a colossal threat to the future of basic liberty in this country for years to come. However, many of us are scared to put our money where our mouths are and live out the enduring words of Martin Luther King, One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. Mind you, these unilateral edicts shutting down life, liberty, and property aren't even laws. And most certainly are not rooted in science. Who would have thought we'd witnessed numerous acts of medieval tyranny in the state of Texas with Donald Trump as president and Greg Abbott as governor, he writes. I don't know what Donald Trump has to do with it. But these cases have been too numerous to count. The case that will hopefully serve as the fulcrum to this revolt against tyranny is that of Shelley Luther, a salon shop owner who refused to close her business and has now been ordered to sit in jail for seven days for essentially doing what the governor himself said is the right course of action. And so yesterday, Dallas County Judge Eric Moyer ruled that Luther was in civil and criminal contempt against the state's lockdown edict by keeping her salon shop, Salon a la Mode, open for seven days. He sentenced her to seven days in jail, ordered her to pay thousands in fines for remaining open after April 24. She had publicly torn up cease and desist order from County Judge Clay Jenkins, who's the county's executive a day later. After calling her selfish, Moyet gave her a chance to apologize and go free, and you heard her response. Mind you, Judge Moyet earns $158,000 a year from taxpayers, And unlike Luther and her employees, he lost not a penny from his arbitrary, capricious, and illegal shutdown. Isn't it funny how so many liberal judges and politicians, and I'll add media, like Moyet, tell us that we need to pardon drug traffickers killing tens of thousands of people because they have no choice but to engage in the activity to earn a living? The sickening fact here is that Dallas County jails have released 1,000 real criminals under the guise of not spreading the virus. Yet now they arrest peaceful business owners like Luther 
for having a handful of people in her business while Walmarts and Subways are wide open. And friends have set up a GoFundMe page to cover Shelley's legal fees. Mr. Producer, will you find out exactly where that link is? You can see in the article and put it up on my Facebook and Twitter sites, please. Mr. Producer? Okay, need to hear from you, brother. Folks, it's easy for us to sit here and say that this is unconstitutional. But then we allow it to go on by uh, giving in to the tyranny. Shelley Luther took a stand against a worse form of tyranny than anything King George ever did. The easier thing would have been for her to apologize, but our founders warned us against that. As Sam Adams wrote in the Boston Gazette on April 7, 1771, the liberties of our country, the freedom of our civil constitution, are worth defending at all hazards. And it is our duty to defend them against all attacks. It will bring an everlasting mark of infamy on the present generation, enlightened as it is, if we should suffer them to be wrested from us by violence without a struggle, or to be cheated out of them by the artifices of false and designing men. Now many will say Shelley made her point and should not have taken it further, but we will never change anything if we allow our Constitution to be shredded with impunity. As James Madison warned, It is proper to take alarm at the first experiment on our liberties. We hold this prudent jealousy to be the first duty of citizens and one of the noblest characteristics of the late revolution. The free men of America did not wait till usurped power had strengthened itself by exercise and entangled the question in precedence. Well, we're far beyond the first alarm at this point. Every single clause of the Bill of Rights has been violated, and there's no end in sight in most states. Ironically, by the time Luther was sentenced, Abbott had already terminated the order, closing businesses. He himself has expressed frustration with the shutdown. Sixteen hours later, both the governor and attorney general Ken Paxton put out statements condemning Judge Moyer's ruling and calling for Luther's release. It's a good start, but why is he not calling on the board of pardons? I was thinking this myself. To send him a pardon recommendation immediately. How can this happen in Texas of all states? There have been too many examples of this in Texas throughout the past month. Whatever happened to the Attorney General's threat of lawsuits? Stop monitoring the situation and start filing lawsuits. This country, as vast as it is geographic expanse is, has become too small to contain the two competing worldviews of liberty versus tyranny that we are seeing today. It's time for the President, the Republican governors, to pick a side. Well... It's clear the president has picked a side. None of this would be happening in terms of any of the opening at all had Trump not been pushing this for for six weeks and pushing it again today. He's under attack already. You're you're telling people to protest? You support protest uh, despite your guidelines? The media have been trying to set him up, trying to have him contradict his advisors on and on and on because that's all they know. That's all they know. Well, I'm going to remind you of something. Remember Cloward and Piven? We've talked about this over the decades. Their strategy? These were ultra-left-wing political activists and professors, American sociologists. And they came up with their strategy in 1966 and pushed it on the Democrat Party and their surrogates to great effect. And the Cloward-Piven strategy is a political strategy outlined in 1966 
that called for overloading the U.S. public welfare system in order to precipitate a crisis that would lead to a replacement of the welfare system with, quote, a guaranteed annual income and thus an end to poverty. Let me put it to you this way. The Cloward and Piven strategy, if, if applied by patriots, would mean the people who own salons should all open them. You can mitigate. You know how to do it with masks and people six feet apart. You don't need to be told. I'm just saying. If that strategy was turned against, in particular, Democrat governors in California, New York, in Michigan, in Illinois, in New Jersey, or Republican governors, in particular in Maryland, There's not enough law enforcement that could do a damn thing about it. There's not enough courts that could do a damn thing about it. Whether it's barbershops, nail salons, tanning salons, tattoo parlors, restaurants of any kind, salons. On and on and on and on. Little businesses all over this country. There'd be nothing they could do. Now, unlike the hardcore left... You would be trashed by the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, the Constipated News Network, MSLSD, and all the others who sit on their fat asses collecting salaries while they report from their basements. If we're left to the New York Times, we would starve to death. Left to the Washington Post, we would die of thirst. Left to CNN, we'd go without clothing. Left MSNBC, we wouldn't have a roof over our heads because none of these people know how to do anything. It's the people who actually know how to do something and do it with their hands that make this country work. The media do not make this country work, not today. The Democrat Party media of the day is destroying this country. They're very proud. The New York Times had a full page of all the New York Times mobsters who received a Pulitzer Prize. If you look at the Pulitzer Prize committee, it's filled with leftists. You have to be a leftist these days to get a Pulitzer Prize. And the fool who started the 1619 Project over the New York Times, she won a Pulitzer Prize for the 1619 Project. Enemy of the people. President's been right all along. Sorry, there's no getting around it. Not the free press, the unfree press. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home. On demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. 
Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I want you to listen to this. Nobody's been hammering on this nursing home issue harder than I have, and it is spread throughout the country now and throughout the media. I don't mean the uh, enemy of the people. I mean the regular media. That is, Fox and other places. This is from today. In the, uh, what is this? The current.com of Connecticut. The Hartford Current. Nearly 90% of the coronavirus deaths in Connecticut last week were nursing home patients. Nearly 90%. Ned Lamont, you should have protected those people on day one the way Governor DeSantis has. And I see more and more people are realizing what a treasure Governor DeSantis is. Again, we had him on Life, Liberty, and Levin. Nobody would touch the guy. He was under attack by the media. I said, no way. I'll have him on. Did exactly the opposite of Cuomo. Did exactly the opposite of Lamont. So what exactly have these governors done to protect their people? Absolutely disgusting. Lots more to do, folks. I hope you'll stick with me. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here. Our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, as I've been saying for the longest time. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is, in fact, fascistic. The way she has undermined the House of Representatives and our Constitution, the way she forces through legislation without the participation of our representatives, Uh, the impeachment scandal, the scandal being her and what she did to the President of the United States, while the coronavirus coronavirus was on the rise. It's too bad. The Senate is so worthless and gutless and impotent, or we ought to be having hearings about the failures of the House and the Democrats when it comes to the coronavirus. But who's going to do it? Lindsey Graham? No. He makes for good sound bites, but very little action. I just want you to see how Nancy Pelosi hates your guts, how she favors tyranny and autocracy. She's got hers. She and that slob of a husband... And her 15 or 20 children, I don't remember, five kids, I don't know, whatever she's got. They've got theirs. They're very wealthy. Capitalism worked for them. And so now it's time to burn down capitalism, burn down the Constitution, because Nancy wants power. You talk about a nut job. They talk about Trump. Now, she's a nut job. And I say that, of course, with all due respect. And here she is on the morning schmo. They all go on the morning schmo now. Have you noticed that? Every left-wing kook, mobster, and reprobate, whether they're guests, they're hosts, they're contributors, they all wind up on the morning schmo. 
like flies to you know what. Cut five, go. You know, everyone's eager to, to get out, and we think to unlock the lockdown is to test, trace, and uh, treat what, as What well. the hell is she talking about? She has had no role in helping this country at all, except delays and delays and delays. Hey, we've been saying test, trace, and treat. Test, trace, and treat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Stempy Hoyer told me that one. Test, hey, the three T's. A triple T, may I say. Go ahead. Uh, isolating social distancing. And when the science tells us that we can do something differently or to The be- science has told us that, you moron, you low IQ fruitcake. Yes, they have. Right in your own damn state at Stanford. Right down the street from your district. The science tells us stop putting mashed potatoes and applesauce in your face. I, I say that again as a public service announcement. What's going on there? Looks like she's looking more and more like John Kerry, don't you think, Mr. Producer? They're uh, too much of this uh, elective surgery, if you get my drift. Go ahead. Socially distant, wearing your mask, doing things in a way that is appropriate. First of all, who, who appointed her the uh, medical expert of that country? <laughs> you wear your mask, <laughs> wear your gloves, social distancing. <laughs> Everybody go to Chinatown. Remember that one? Let's all go to Chinatown. We're open. It's happy. <laughs> Let's all go. She should be getting the hook. Should have gotten the hook a long time ago. Off the stage. Go ahead. Hearing people on going with guns and swastikas uh, to the legislature in Michigan. Uh, nobody, the president didn't cheer people on with guns and swastikas, you idiot. And we've had protests all over this country with law-abiding citizens who pay your damn salary. And pay for your damn chauffeur. And pay for your damn jets. And pay for your power. The president did not cheer people on with guns and swastikas. You're a disgusting disgrace. And there they are, the morning schmo. They just sit there. They just sit there. Unbelievable. I wanted you to hear that. We're going to move around a little bit, if I may. Byron York has a piece. Exclusive. It's an exclusive piece. Means it's big time at the Washington Examiner. You've got a fellow by the name of Richard Grinnell, who is a great patriot. This is a gentleman who's under constant attack from the left. You want to know why? Because he's a conservative constitutionalist who supports the president, and he's gay. And you're not allowed to. That's it. You're just not allowed to. So we've got to destroy you. And what more and more people are following, including people who are gay, what they're finding out is that constitutional conservatives are very open-minded people. It's pretty much live and let live and the golden rule. Whereas the left is absolutely intolerant. If you step out of line, they seek to destroy you and everything about you. 
If you're gay, you must be a liberal Democrat. If you're black, you must be a liberal Democrat. If you're Hispanic, you must be a liberal Democrat. If you're a Jew, you must be a liberal Democrat, and on and on down the line. Well, some people like to think for themselves. They actually believe in liberty. So here's Byron York's piece, exclusive, DNI, Director of National Intelligence, to Adam Schiff. The transcripts are ready to release. A big development in the fight over 53 secret interviews the House Intelligence Committee conducted during its Trump-Russia investigation. Acting Director of National Intelligence Richard Grinnell has sent a letter to Chairman Adam Schiff notifying him that the transcripts of all 53 interviews, over 6,000 pages in all, have been cleared for public release. Quote, all the transcripts with our required redactions can be released to the public without any concerns of disclosing classified material. Grinnell wrote the shift in a letter dated two days ago. The Intel Committee did the first probe into the Russia 2016 campaign, writes York, uh, Russia campaign interference and allegations of Trump-Russia collusion. Even today, its findings make up most of what we know about the affair. As part of the investigation, it was run by then-majority Republicans. The committee interviewed some key witnesses in the Trump-Russia matter. Donald Trump Jr., Steve Bannon, Andrew McCabe, Sally Yates, Michael Cohen, Hope Hicks, and many more. The interviews were conducted in secret. But by September 2018, with the committee's report long finished and made public, The Republicans who still controlled the committee decided the interview transcript should be released to the public. In a rare moment of comedy, Democrats agreed. And on September 26, 2018, the committee voted unanimously to release the transcripts. But there was a catch. The documents would have to be first checked for classified information by the intelligence community. So off it went to the intelligence community, never to be seen again. But now, May 2020, they're still secret. Two weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal editorial board reported that the IC, the intelligence community, had finished its review of 43 of the transcripts, but Adam Schiff was refusing to release them. The paper said Schiff was also preventing declassification of the remaining 10 transcripts. See, this guy is a Soviet fascist, too. This guy, Schiff. I could see him as the, uh, as the commandant, if you will, of some kind of a gulag. Schiff, just give him a uniform and a stick and a soapbox. So Schiff is preventing the release of the information. It has nothing to do with classification now. Now what does that tell you, folks? That tells you there's good stuff in there. And that clown, Chuck Schumer, goes to the floor of the Senate today that says the president's trying to cover something, cover up on the coronavirus. Notice... That clown, schmucky Chucky, he doesn't go to the floor of the Senate demanding that the House Intelligence Committee release these interviews, does he? And notice he won't be pressed by any reporter to do so. Not Philip Bump, not Jeremy What's-His-Ass, no, 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 no. Not Dan, no balls. Who else do we have? Peter Baker or Baker's Peter? I don't know. In the letter, Grinnell revealed that the 43 transcripts have been finished since June 2019. Wouldn't it have been nice to have those transcripts during the course of the so-called impeachment process, ladies and gentlemen? This is blockbuster. Schiff has been sitting on them all that time. Grinnell said the final 10 have just been finished as well. Quote, I urge you to honor your previous public statements and your committee's unanimous vote on this matter 
to release all 53 clear transcripts to members of Congress and the American public as soon as possible, Grinnell said. Just in case Schiff is still not interested, Grinnell added, quote, I am also willing to release the transcripts directly from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence as to ensure we comply with the unanimous and bipartisan vote to release the transcripts. Man, this guy is good. This Grinnell is terrific. One more thing. In March 2019, that was when Democrats were newly in charge of the House and considering impeaching the president right off the bat over Russia back then. Schiff requested that the DNI, quote, under no circumstances share House Intelligence Committee transcripts with the White House, President Trump, or any other person associated with the White House or president, unquote. Some Republicans viewed that as a dubious request, and some of the witnesses came from the White House. And by the way, how do you defend yourself under these circumstances? The answer is it's almost impossible. Nevertheless, Grinnell complied. Pursuant to your guidance, these transcripts have not been shared with the White House, he wrote to Schiff. Now, the next move, they say, is up to Schiff. I don't believe that, but let's read this. The chairman has shown no hesitation to keep secrets, even when they involve non-classified information of great national interest. For example, Schiff is still concealing the committee's impeachment inquiry interview with Michael Atkinson, at the time the Intelligence Committee Inspector General, in the Ukraine matter. As for the Trump-Russia interviews, Republicans remember when Schiff claimed that he had direct evidence of collusion, a charge special counsel Robert Mueller was never able to establish. Some Republican lawmakers believe the transcripts will help show that Schiff was making it all up all along. It's time for the public to learn that too, says Byron York. Now look. These fools claim they want transparency, they want the truth. These fools claim they want oversight. Tell me, where's the editorial in the New York Slimes demanding the release of these transcripts? There hasn't been one. Where's the editorial in the Washington Compost demanding the release of these transcripts? There hasn't been one. Where's fake tapped out? Where's, where's Wolf Blitzed? Where's Donnie Lemonade? Where's Fredo Cuomo? Where's Rachel Madcow? Where is, uh, oh, uh, Chris Matthews, he's in, isn't there anymore. Oh, let's go on. Oh, where's uh, the morning Schmo and Mrs. Schmo? None of them, none of them are demanding the release of these transcripts. Where's Donnie Douche, Double D? Where is he? Nowhere. Where's Danny Noballs? Where's Peter's Baker? Or Baker's Peter? You get my drift? How is it that one puke, one puke from California can able to run the, be able to run the whole country and keep this information? Where's George Conman? Where's George Conman? And either a Conman in the Never Trumper crowd. They could care less. See, this is why I say we don't have a free press. This is a joke. The whole thing is pathetic. And it all starts and ends with the media. If they were banging the pots and pans for this information, we'd eventually get it. But they don't. They're part of the cover-up. They're part of the coup operation, as I've called it all along. They participated in it. And they still are. And they still are. I would encourage 
legal groups throughout the country to file FOIA requests with the DNI. We now know that the information they have has been redacted and declassified. So the intelligence community cannot hide behind, the bureaucrats there cannot hide behind the fact that any of the information is classified. And get it in front of a real judge like Judge Lamberth. Federal District Judge Royce is a great judge in Washington, D.C., if you can. And move on with it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Bam, bam. Bam, bam. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Cuomo, according to the media, is the most popular governor in America. And here we have a piece at PJ Media by Brian Preston. Cuomo gives people another reason to hate New York. He'll tax coronavirus volunteers. I said, well, what's this all about? Even if you were not working for any pay in New York, but you were still being paid in your home state, pay that enabled you to volunteer and put your own health in danger to help New York. In other words, to go to New York from other parts of the country to help the people in New York who needed help. Well, guess what? Andrew Cuomo says you owe New York state income taxes. Healthcare workers that came to New York to help fight the coronavirus pandemic at its epicenter will have to pay state taxes, according to the governor. He addressed the issue Tuesday at his news conference. He said, we're not in a position to provide any subsidies right now because we have a $13 billion deficit. And by the way, it is $6.1 billion deficit before the pandemic. So half of it, half of it had nothing to do with the pandemic. So there's a lot of good things I'd like to do. And if we get federal funding, we can do. But it would be irresponsible for me to sit here looking at a $13 billion deficit and say I'm going to spend more money when I can't even pay the essential services. That's his answer to people who've come in from around the country. You're going to be taxed for each day you volunteered to help people in New York. There isn't a nice way to put this. Andrew Cuomo is an idiot. He's just made sure that no one will volunteer to help New York for the foreseeable future. He's also betrayed his bedrock opinion of your money, which is, in his mind, not your money. It's his, and he feels no compunction about confiscating it, even if you don't live in New York. 
and New York has suffered more than any other state during the coronavirus pandemic, the leadership it has elected, Governor Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio, are the reason why. They're immoral. Even though the state government asked thousands of people to come to New York from out of state to help fight the virus, now they have to pay New York state taxes. Even on income they might make from their home states that they're paid while they're in New York. Can you believe that, Mr. Producer? Do you think people are going to come into New York and volunteer to help after this? Put your lives on the line? This is the most foolish, buffoonish, moronic man to serve in public office. And he sits there in the home of the New York Times. And of course, the New York Times doesn't turn its propagandistic guns on Cuomo or the other left-wing outlets in New York. MSLSD and the putrid buffoons who pose as hosts there, they don't turn their, their propagandistic guns on Cuomo. Look at this guy. In addition to sending the killer virus into nursing homes, the guy is now telling people come from anywhere in the country to help the people in New York, we're going to tax your income. Well, we volunteer, it doesn't matter. We're going to tax you on the number of days you were here. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The Mark Levin Show is tomorrow's morning show. You can reach Mark now at 877-381-3811. I mean, if you think of the dumbest things a governor can do, that's Cuomo. If you can think of the dumbest thing a mayor can do, that's DeCamio. And I feel bad for the patriots that live in that state and in that city. You're outnumbered by nutjobs, by kooks. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Look at the message this fool just sent to the whole nation. You come here and volunteer at my request to help our city, to help our state. And some people who have done that have died. You expose yourself to this virus on the front lines of the battle. Cuomo doesn't do that. He hides out in Albany for most of the time. But anyway, uh, we're going to tax you for each day you're here. Even though you're not earning anything here, we're going to tax you based on your income in another state. And not only that, you're going to have to fill out a New York tax return. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, is this man the dumbest man walking the face of the earth or what? Certainly one of the dumbest, he and the brother. Unbelievable. If you find yourself in credit card debt and paying a lot of interest, 
you might want to consolidate it into your mortgage. It's an effective way to get out of debt faster while wasting less money on interest. Now, folks, mortgage rates continue to remain low. It's not going to stay that way forever. Now is the right time to call my friends at American Financing. I strongly recommend them. I know them. They're a wonderful family. They've been in business 20 years. Their mortgage consultants are only focused on your goals. There's never any pressure, never any hidden fees. They don't get commissions. They're salary-based, and they're focused on tailoring a loan for you, if it makes sense. Now, you can pay more in interest and less in principal, but why would you do that? You know what that's called? Burning money. They give you just simple conversations and guidance. They know that what they're doing because they've been doing it for around 20 years. Helping people just like you save up to $1,000 a month, sometimes more, all without resetting your term. So make the 10-minute call. That's all it takes. Call them now. They're there. Get your free mortgage review. You may even be able to postpone two mortgage payments. You got your pen to write the number down? Here we go. 888-900-1828. That's 888-900-1828. Or you can apply online with AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I thought Chris Matthews retired, Mr. Producer. Apparently not. Apparently not. All right, there's so much to get to here. Cancer patients. You know who have suffered through all this? Cancer patients, heart patients, patients with diabetes, patients with lung and kidney issues. In other words, patients that are suffering from maladies that are deadly if not treated properly, and in some cases, even if treated properly. PJ Media, Stephen Green, Cancer Treatments on Hold, the Invisible Health Costs of the Shutdown. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former commissioner of the FDA and resident at the American Enterprise Institute, warns of the broad public health impacts of people too scared to see their doctors, even for cancer treatments, during the Wuhan virus shutdown. Gottlieb tweeted that data from community cancer practices show sharp drops in oncology visits, including a steep 17% decline for chemotherapy in in the Northeast. He also reports that cancellations and no-shows have doubled, which means people in need of elective cancer screenings aren't getting them. Telemedicine visits are up, but not nearly enough to make up the difference. New cancer patient visits are down by more than a third. Not to put a fine point on it, but this is a big steaming bowl of not good. In a report for the cancer letter, Matthew Binhan Ung spoke with Dr. Bobby Green, no relation of the author, chief medical officer for Flatron Health. Dr. Green said, we've seen a drop-off in new patient visits. We've seen a drop-off in chemotherapy visits. We've seen a drop-off in follow-up appointments. We've seen an increase in cancellations. This puts many practices at risk. Not to mention the risk potential cancer patients who aren't getting screened and current cancer patients who are skipping chemo treatments out of fear of the Wuhan virus. And as Dr. Green noted, it isn't just cancer patients. 
patients. He said, you've read that people aren't showing up at hospitals for strokes. People aren't even showing up for appendectomies. Dump, Mr. Producer, dump. Which is just mind-boggling to me. The incidence at hospitals has gone down. What's happening to all those people suffering from all these various illnesses? He says, when are we going to start seeing the people who developed a cough that might have been a sign of lung cancer or a mass that was lymphoma who normally would have gone to see their doctor but have delayed it? CBS's Ricky Kleiman tweeted to Gottlieb that in New York City, people are afraid of going anywhere near a hospital or medical center right now, even if their appointments were not already canceled by the doctor's office. And this is why I have nothing but disgust and frustration for the fear and panic being pushed by the media, whether it's the Drudge Report, whether it is Mediaite, whether it is CNN and MSNBC, whether it is newsrooms all over the country. This is a very, very serious illness, this virus. But the constant panic and the constant fear, and I talked about this months ago, this is bad enough. We don't need the constant panic and the constant fear because you're going to get people killed. Just need the facts. The whole point of flattening the curve was to prevent the infection rate from overwhelming the medical system's ability to treat six people. Whether they, sick people were infected by the Wuhan virus, had a broken arm, required chemotherapy, etc. We were very fortunate that we did indeed flatten the curve, and although things were dicey in New York City for a while, the medical system never became overwhelmed. The thing to remember is, absent a vaccine that might never come, the Wuhan virus is here to stay. Many more will get infected, and yes, some, almost all with pre-existing conditions, will die That's the nature of a pandemic, but we've done the hard work of preventing the worst-case scenario. Where overwhelmed hospitals stack up bodies like cordwood while turning away cancer patients, those in need of emergency medicine, etc. But we put such a scare into people that the Wuhan virus is causing people to miss out on cancer treatments, emergency medicine, etc., as though we never did flatten the curve. This is insanity, and it has to stop. I'm asking the New York Times, will you do a full-page article on the number of people who have died as a result of not seeing a doctor, of not going to a hospital because you scared the S out of them? Or of these scientists and experts telling people, if you don't really need surgery... They call it elective surgery. Well, elective surgery, ladies and gentlemen, can be determined if you're going to have a heart attack, if you have cancer, and a number of other things. Will you do that study? Will you do that? Is there anybody in the media who's going to do this? No. It's hard work. And it goes against the narrative. The narrative of Cuomo, the narrative of Newsom, the narratives in Michigan and Illinois and Connecticut and New Jersey. It was Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who was the first to tell me and my audiences about all the empty hospital beds, about how there are more hospital beds now than there were before the pandemic, about the effects on hospitals and doctors, 
it was one of the top cancer surgeons in Miami, whose name I shall keep out because he didn't say I could use it, who told me about what was happening in doctor's offices all across this country and all across his city and state as they were shuddering. Then the media just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. The websites just keep hyping. They want their hits. Everybody wants something out of this. The Democrats want to control voting. And they want their blue states subsidized. But who's truly looking out for the sick people? As I said to you before, what exactly has Newsom done to improve health care and medical delivery? What exactly has Cuomo done? They shuffle resources around. They shuffle papers around. They didn't protect their nursing homes and their assisted living communities. They basically have been loud voices for subsidies. In some cases, subsidies they didn't need, like ventilators and beds. All the press conferences Cuomo had, he screwed up the subway system. He screwed up the bus system in New York City. He screwed up the nursing homes and the assisted living facilities. He comes into this pandemic shorthanded. He comes into this pandemic $6.1 billion in the hole, which now the rest of us are supposed to make up. And then the icing on the cake is any volunteer who comes into New York or came into New York from another part of the country to help New York, who were asked by Cuomo to come to New York, are going to be taxed on their income for the number of days they were in New York, as if they're basketball players earning $140 million a year. The mayhem, the death, bad enough by this virus, but bad political decisions, bad leaders. And all they do is attack Trump, who tried to back up and help these, these failed governors and these failed mayors, who had to quickly produce devices and equipment that the Obama-Biden administration didn't have or didn't replenish, listening to the science every step of the way. And yet they say Trump didn't act fast enough. Do you know of a politician who acted faster than Trump? Was it Pelosi? No, she was walking in Chinatown, telling everybody to come to Chinatown. Was it Schumer? No. Schumer was still putting out statements about John Bolton. Was it Romney? No, Romney wanted three, four, five other witnesses in the phony impeachment scam trial where they never were going to convict the president. So which politician was first? Which Elected official was first. Donald Trump was first. He even beat out the media. And thanks to uh, Brent Bozell and Newsbusters, we have that montage. The media, all the media, telling us this is what fine, don't worry. Don't let Trump, you know, push into a panic for God's sakes. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
tell you about this again. It's very, very important. Mother's Day is very, very important. Moms are working way harder than usual this year without a single day off. So at the Books Company, that's short for bouquets, uh, they've decided to celebrate Mother's Day all month long. And uh, you can put smiles on your mom's face every month. With a flower subscription, you get 30% off, 30% off, plus free shipping every time. Now, here's the good thing. The subscriptions are flexible, so you can pause, switch up delivery dates, or even recipients to cover all your bases. Not into long-term commitments? We'll try our gift trio for three months of Farm Fresh Blooms. Did you know that books are responsibly sourced from some of the world's best flower farms? Even farms on the sides of volcanoes? So flowers stay fresher a whole lot longer. Order any time between now and May 31st to show mom some love and gratitude. Visit books.com slash Levin. That's B-O-U-Q-S, like bouquets. B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash L-E-V-I-N. And you can place your order immediately. If you'd rather just buy one book, you can still receive 25% off at checkout by entering the promo code LEVIN. That's what you want to do. You want to enter the promo code L-E-V-I-N. Get the deal. Get the discount. Maybe you can't give mom a hug right now, but you can brighten her day with Books Co. Slash Levin. Code Levin. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash L-E-V-I-N. B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash L-E-V-I-N. All right. Let's see here. Can we get to a caller? Let me see here. Do I have the screen? Somebody send me the screen link. But in the meantime, who do you recommend that I speak to, Mr. Producer? Westchester, New York, the great WABC. Sonia, go. Hey. Hey. Go ahead. You're on. Mr. Levin. Yes, you're going to be off soon if you don't go. We're running out of time. Oh, God, what an honor. I love you. You are awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you. Um, I live in the People's Republic of New York, unfortunately. But this is my home. Um, Just wanted to kind of touch off on Andrew Cuomo and Mm -hmm. just how he's not dumb. He is just an evil, despicable human being. So we'd rather him be dumb. It, but he's beyond that. He, yes, he, he's he conniving. Is truly vile. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I told your screener that I actually used to work for a former Republican uh, elected official in New York who actually ran against Andrew Cuomo at one point. And it, it came pretty close, but couldn't quite do it. But this man... Now is, he's enormously popular. He's up there with Saddam Hussein uh, poll numbers. Uh, yeah, and Gaddafi and... Uh, yeah, uh, I, I never saw those poll numbers, but I, I remember Saddam Hussein was always like at 93% or something. I think Cuomo's at 77. He's getting there. If he, can, uh, if he can close more buildings, if he can tax more volunteers, uh, if he can shove more coronavirus-positive patients into nursing homes, maybe he'll get up to 93%. Of the elderly nursing home patients in our state have died because of his health commissioner's order, which is posted on their website. It, yeah, it, that's exactly where I found it. Nobody was even talking about it until Dr. Elaine Healy called me, and I went and I looked for it, and uh, 
I want to thank you for your call. Now, Dr. Helene Healy is on the line, but we're going to wait till the next hour because I only have a few minutes. And she is the, uh, the administrator of a nursing home who contacted me on March 26th, the day after this order went out and the day of the Wall Street Journal article, which exposed what the Cuomo administration was doing, literally forcing corona-positive patients into nursing homes. And it was she, as a result of her call to this program, that blew the lid off this scandal as far as I'm concerned. So she better make sure everything's in order because I have no doubt that Cuomo will unleash his, uh, his surrogates and his, uh, his hacks throughout the government against her nursing home and potentially her. So we have a lot to cover in the next hour. I hope you'll stick with us. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877 you know, my first book was called Men in Black. And it was about how the Supreme Court is destroying America. In many ways, the Supreme Court has destroyed America by changing our Constitution. And there have been a couple of courts in particular that have done so. The Dred Scott Court, the Plessy Court, the FDR Court, the Roe v. Wade Court, and subsequent court decisions. But what's interesting is this. Even if it's not honored in a perfect way, at least it gets lip service. And what is this? This is the political question doctrine. All right, Mark, I'm done. I'm turning on TV and going to get a hamburger. No, I hope you'll stay with me. This is an important matter. We are so lucky to have our Constitution. There's not another country in the world that has anything like it. So lucky. Because whether the court likes it or not, its powers are supposed to be limited. Particularly when it comes to political matters. Political matters are supposed to be left, are supposed to be left to the political branches. That is, the presidency and Congress. Otherwise, you destroy a republic, you destroy the vote, you destroy the whole mechanism. And you replace it with a Politburo. With a handful of lifetime appointed elites dictate to the whole country how things are to function. 
this is a grave threat to any democracy or republic. It's even a graver threat than an outside threat because the poison, the cancer is from within and it's incredibly difficult to address it because where do you go to get the, the result? You go to the courts. You go to the, the court. I want to talk to you about what's going on in Israel as an example of what could happen to this country one day, but I don't think so because of our Constitution. You have a Supreme Court in Israel which has 15 members. Most cases are heard by three justices. The most extraordinary cases are heard by five. And yet there was a case, and is a case, before the Supreme Court of Israel that's heard by 11 justices. Almost unprecedented, really. Why? Because they are deciding issues related to whether or not the Prime Minister of Israel can be the Prime Minister of Israel. And whether the, the deal that the Prime Minister of Israel and the former head of the Blue and White Party, Benny Gantz, have made the coalition deal after three elections and months of doubt is uh, satisfactory to the justices. Now, keep a few things in mind. Number one, there is no law that prevents Benjamin Netanyahu from serving as prime minister. And a few hours ago, the Supreme Court of Israel basically said so. But the court had no authority whatsoever to take up the matter anyway. That's number one. Number two, the court is still getting into the weeds in terms of the coalition deal that was made. Whether or not senior officials should be appointed more quickly than the deal provides, the structure of the cabinet... Uh, issues related to the Knesset and so forth and so on. So you really have a Politburo in Israel. Effectively, that's what you have. And why is that? Because when the Israeli government was set up, it was sort of a bastardization of the British system. The early founders of Israel were European socialists, pretty much. And so they enshrined, for all intents and purposes, their ideology and their power in the court system, particularly the Supreme Court. One of the things Benjamin Netanyahu has been trying to do during more than nine years as prime minister is to reform that court and to reform their system. Here, of course, the president nominates and then the Senate Confirms or doesn't confirm. It's a very, very convoluted system in Israel, except here's the deal. They have a new Judiciary Appointment Committee. The committee's made up of nine members. Three of the members are sitting justices on the Supreme Court who participate in deciding what other justices are going to serve on the Supreme Court. So obviously they're going to go as best they can with with lawyers who are ideologically similar to their own views. That's three. Then there's two other members who are members of the Israeli bar. 
Those two members and the three justices make up a majority of five out of nine and almost always vote that way. So you have this cabal of five. You have two who are members of the parliament and two who are members of the government, that is the sitting office of the prime minister. But here's another trick. Seven out of the nine members of this judicial selection committee have to approve or confirm somebody for the Supreme Court of Israel. What does that mean? That means the three justices on the court can veto anybody they want to. They have the final say. So there's a cabal of five to begin with, but when it comes to the appointment of Supreme Court justices, three Supreme Court justices currently on the Supreme Court of Israel can veto any decision it doesn't like in terms of its membership. So you have this incestuous body completely unmoored from elections, completely unmoored from the body politic. And this is what they call an independent judiciary. It gets worse. It gets worse. For at least the last 25 years, this court was, has taken the position that you don't need standing to bring a case in front of the court. This really started with a very powerful man, their chief justice, Barack. Yes, Barack. who Judge Posner, a circuit court judge in this country, once called a benevolent dictator. Who basically said, and now this is the position, as that court seized power, we can take up any issue we think we need to to determine if decisions are reasonable. Reasonable. So what basis, what standard do they use to make that decision? Whatever's between their ears. So, of course, this court is heavy-duty left-wing. It's anti-Likud. It's anti-Netanyahu. This court has made decisions on related to the military. It's made decisions on whether the government's spending enough for the homeless. This court has made scores and scores of political decisions. They don't have a political question doctrine where the courts, particularly our Supreme Court, is very careful, or at least claims to be, not to step into these political decisions. Anybody can bring a suit. You don't have to have standing. And that means, you might say, well, that's good. I want to bring it. That means that they can get involved in anything they want to. And they do. And they do. So unless and until somehow the Israelis get control of these courts, they don't have a constitution. They were going to have a constitution. But they can't agree on one. So they have what they call basic laws which the court rules on whether or not they like the basic laws. Unless the elected elements of the Israeli government get together for once to get control over this Supreme Court, they're never going to have control over it. And of course, the left in Israel doesn't want to. Isn't it interesting to you when we have a concentration of power and autocracy, in some ways a tyranny, if not a soft tyranny, that it always favors the left? Well, what about the right with fascism? We're not of the right. We're constitutionalists. We're not of the right. We're not of the left. That's their lingo, not our lingo. 
And the reason why this guy, Barack, the chief justice at the time of the Israeli Supreme Court, and the reason why activists on our court are very troubled by the limits, for instance, in our country that the Constitution places on all public officials is because it makes it very difficult for them to rule over us. If you read Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism, or if you listen to the show on a regular basis, you know that the entire progressive movement in this country, and the progressive movement is a socialist movement. That's what it is. It is a soft Marxist but hard socialist movement. That's why Pelosi pushes for what she wants and Schumer and all the rest. They're never satisfied with the amount of money, with the amount of government control, with government regulations. They are, they are socialists, really. And you have out-and-out socialists in, in Europe and in Israel. The reason they want to do away with limits, boundaries, and checks and balances and all that sort of thing, and the reason they really do not believe in the popular vote, even though they claim they do, is because they're the masterminds. They have to make the decisions. It doesn't matter if there's a rule of law, constitution, whatever it is. You know, the hard left in our country talks about a living and breathing constitution, which means there's no constitution. Means they write it up as they think about it. In Israel, their Supreme Court doesn't even pretend. It doesn't even pretend. So it's got judicial tyranny. That's what we call it. It's judicial tyranny. And it is destroying the state of Israel. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. I want to give an example of how the media worked with the left and the left worked with the media and why they really are one and the same. Here's a piece in Politico where one of the co-founders said, I don't give a damn about investigating the Tara Reid matter. I want Biden to be coronated. And trust me when I tell you, virtually every newsroom in America thinks exactly the same way. They're dealing with the Tara Reid matter as they're trying to figure out how to broom it. Sweeping under the rug. They're trying to figure out how to say they covered it while not covering it, but they're definitely not going to go and seriously pursue it. Unless they feel that Biden is so bad, then they'll use it and whatever else they can use to take him out. But right now, that's not happening. This is the Politico headline. It's a left-wing site. The left struggles in coronavirus fight 
It's not clear progressives will be able to win concessions in the next relief package. And it goes on, poor AOC and others. Here they thought they could really fundamentally transform America. Poor Pramila Yappa Yappa Do, whatever her name is, Washington State, Mark Pocan of Wisconsin. Oh, they all were ready to do great things to our country. And they, of course, were going to use the, uh, the pandemic. Poor Chris Murphy of Connecticut, complete sleazeball. And all these others, oh my goodness. Ayanna Presley, Taliba, and others. They wanted so much to fundamentally transform America. See, ladies and gentlemen, in many ways they did fundamentally transform America with their spending and so forth. But that's not what they mean. They wanted their hardcore left-wing quasi-Marxist agenda to be enshrined in these bills, force it upon the American people, before you even knew what the hell happened, since all these bills are being written by Nancy Pelosi, which is, as I explained yesterday, through a great piece by Congressman Bradley Byrne, is exactly why she won't let the House meet. Because she's writing all the bills. But the left struggles in coronavirus fight, and it's not clear progressives will be able to win concessions in the next relief package. This really crystallizes the problem. If you love your country, if you love freedom, you love your constitution, you love capitalism and the declaration, this really crystallizes the issue. The left struggles in the coronavirus to win concessions. You'll never see a title, the conservative struggle in the coronavirus to win concessions. Is there any effort afoot by any member of the Senate or the House to advance the cause of liberty, private property rights, limited government, constitutionalism, anything? In any one of these bills, let alone a list of them? The way the Democrats roll? No. Now McConnell says, you know, we want to give uh, immunity to businesses. I got that. I agree with that. But that has nothing to do with with the fundamental nature of governance. We're not pushing demanding voter ID. We're not pushing demanding that only citizens can vote. We're not pushing and demanding that we secure the border. We're not pushing and demanding anything. Only the president does. Well, maybe sanctuary cities shouldn't get it. And then he sends Mnuchin in there. And Mnuchin talks to McConnell. And that's what we get. I mean, and Pelosi says as much. I load these damn things up. And if we get some good, I'll load it up again, get some more, load it up again, get some more. What's our agenda? Seriously. You'll never see a headline. Conservatives struggling coronavirus. It's not clear conservatives will be able to win concessions in the next relief package. Because they know that the left is at it. They are resolute. They're nonstop. We on our side, we got Romney, you got Susan Collins, you got this one and that. I don't know. I don't know where I go. I don't know. And McConnell. Who's the other one in there? What's that, uh, what's that guy's name from Missouri? I can't remember his name. Another loser. You got the Senate Appropriations Committee pressuring the Department of Education and that jerk from Missouri, if I could only remember his name, not Hawley, the other guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys should be spending money and 
for illegal aliens too. It's what they're putting, the Republicans. The Republicans. Cutting the deals all the time, cutting the deals. Not to advance liberty or limited government or anything of the sort. I don't even need to read the rest of this article. We already know what the left is capable of and what they're doing. And of course, the media will never report. Look at how Ayach and the others are trying to exploit the pandemic for political purposes. You'll never read that headline either. Not at the New York Slimes, where they're rooting for 3,000 Americans to die each day to make Trump look bad, like it's Trump's responsibility. No, he's not a doctor. He's the president. He does what the president can do. It's the virus. All right, I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Levin, the voice the liberals want to silence. But you can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. All right, I want to remind you, Levinites out there, strongly encourage you, please read between the lines. You don't even have to, to download my podcast. You don't ever have to listen to it, but I think in the future you may want to. We have wonderful, wonderful affiliates. But sometimes you get busy when they air the show. We have a couple of affiliates out there that, uh, well, I won't comment, but 98, 99% of them are terrific, wonderful program directors, station managers, regional managers, and so forth and so on. Just a couple. So go to marklevinshow.com, mark, L-E-V-I-N, show.com. Click on the Audio Rewind, middle at the top of the homepage, the button. Click on Audio Rewind, middle at the top of the homepage. That'll take you to the podcast page. Then choose your platform. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast. People like the Apple, but the others are good too. And uh, we're going to continue to promote this. So I hope you'll do it. If, you don't, if you're not sure how to do it, ask somebody in your household who is. Or call up a, a friend or, a, or your son or your daughter or whomever on the phone. And they'll, they'll walk you there. It's so simple. It takes three minutes. Otherwise, I wouldn't know how to do it. And then the podcast, you can listen to it anywhere. If you have a computer, you have a uh, Macintosh, an iPad, a laptop, you have a cell phone. I mean, really, any communication form, you'll be able to listen to it. So uh, that's, that's the benefit of that. 
so I hope you'll check it out, the MarkLevinShow.com podcast. I want to go to Dr. Elaine Healy of New Rochelle, New York, who called us on that memorable day, March 26th. Elaine, how are you? Elaine Healy, are you there? Yes. How are you, Elaine? Hi, Mark. I'm, I'm hanging on. Thank you. You, thank you Elaine that. Healy, deserve all the credit in the world. You called this program. You put your neck and your career on the line. You said, I'm ringing the alarms here that we have an order from the state of New York, the governor and his assistant Zucker, which is going to threaten the lives and the well-being of the residents in our nursing home and the nursing homes all over this state, particularly the city and the, the metropolitan area, because they're going to force people, force people who have had this virus and are still positive with this virus into our nursing homes. There's nothing we can do. We can't get them on the phone. They're not listening to us. We're trying to figure out how to, to properly object to this because our residents are going to be threatened. Did you lose any residents? Oh, I'm sorry to say that we have. Mm-hmm. And this was all, or not all, but most of it was preventable, wasn't it? Well, um, there was a good deal that was preventable. I think that there was a component that happened and would have happened anyway, much like mm-hmm. it, it did in Kirkland. Um, but certainly the uh, sort of that one-way directive that we had to accept uh, coronavirus uh, virus patients uh, into the facility really uh, fanned the flames, if, mm-hmm. if nothing else. Certainly uh, patients that did not have any coronavirus uh, uh, patient residents already, those places... Uh, were potentially um, infected, and places that were dealing with um, uh, outbreaks, it, it certainly made it a lot worse. But the, the reason I wanted to call in, mm-hmm. uh, or that I called in tonight and I was listening to you, and by the way, I wanted to thank you so much for championing the cause of the nursing homes. And it It's was thanks really- to you. If I didn't have your call, you remember how sh- astonished I was? Yes. <laughs> I said, he's doing what? Yeah. I mean, really yeah. horrified. Yeah. But uh, you got the word out, uh, ultimately. So uh, I think finally they're starting to pay attention. And um, but but earlier this evening, you were saying, uh, you know, what what have governors done? Really, what have they done to help? Hmm. And I was thinking about something that could have been done and mm-hmm. still should be done to help. Uh, and specifically uh, nursing homes. And that is, and, and you're not going to believe this either, but here it comes, mm-hmm. uh, the issue of testing, the issue of testing. So if you were in charge, I think that you would probably... Uh, My priority would be nursing homes, assisted living homes, senior citizen facilities, as well as people with other comorbidities. But that would be my priority, like the governor of Florida, DeSantis. That was his priority. Exactly. And and what I wanted to point out was that there was a widespread uh, lack of testing uh, available to nursing homes, uh, certainly in the early weeks of the pandemic. And it, it persists uh, in some spots to this day. And this made it very, very difficult to manage uh, what was going on. And it was particularly ironic because 
uh, testing was available in many places um, in, in these drive-through centers. So you could go, and even in New Rochelle, where, where this all began, I think it was March 13th, uh, the governor uh, set up an outpatient uh, drive-through testing center, and it's right down the street from my nursing home. And, uh, you know, hundreds of people a day drove through and got tested, even those that really had no And symptoms. despite the facts that you're presenting to millions of people, this governor will make an excuse. Well, we wanted the testing kits, but the federal government didn't have them, didn't give us enough. And we were competing, you know, with Arkansas, and we couldn't get enough. You're telling me they were doing them right down the street. Right down the street for, the, for, out, for people that drove through. And that, that testing center is still going on. And to this day, this is the point I wanted to make, to this day, the New York State Department of Health has not inquired as to the nursing homes as to whether or not they have adequate testing to meet the needs of the facility. To this day, despite all the information now that's available about what's happening, let me ask you this. Did they ever withdraw that March 25th order about... Who the, the people nursing homes need to take? No, no. So they haven't withdrawn that order. No, no. That's still that's still uh, active. Even though there's now clearly enough beds elsewhere. Well, uh, you know, when confronted about it, uh, what he says is that uh, you were well. That's a whole other story. But but he does a pretty good uh, tap dance around that issue. He mm-hmm. says that when he's asked about the order that says that you have to take in patients from the hospital, he pivots and he says, well, if you have a patient in your facility that you can't manage. Oh, I heard him say this. Then, then you need to uh, let us know so we can send them somewhere else. He does it all the time. And yet, and, and you, I know you know about this, um, the poor uh, man at uh, Cobble Hill Nursing Home, the one that called, uh, the one that emailed the DOH to ask uh, if he could... Uh, have his patients transferred mm-hmm. to um, not to the Javits Center, to the ship that was to the, the ship, comfort, the comfort. Right? Yeah. Yep. So here he was actually doing what it was that Cuomo says that we're supposed to do in the event that not that anyone would ever do that, by the way, or knew that you could or should. Uh, but he was actually doing that. He emailed the Department of Health. He said, I have my, my facility is on fire, so to speak. I want to evacuate uh, patients. He happened to say the comfort, um, which of course he, you know, got slapped down for that. But why didn't they offer to take those patients and put them somewhere? Well, else? because Cuomo says the protocol was that we couldn't send them to the comfort, and of course that's such a lie. All he had to do is call the president of the United States. He's talking to him every day, twice a day whatever number of times, and all he had to do is say, Mr. President, can we use the comfort? And the president would have said, absolutely. Right, but what he said, but what he says in the next breath when, when he's asked about, uh, you know, this, this directive to admit patients, he says, if you have a patient that you can't handle, all you have to do is contact the Department of Health, and we will find a place for that patient. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this person was doing. He was and what happened? He called for help. He said, you can't bring them to the comfort, and that was it. So why didn't they say to this man who was appealing for help, oh, well, you can't put them in the comfort, but we'll take them and we'll put them somewhere else? Mm-hmm. What he, so he I, I recall you telling me on March 26th that you all tried to get a hold of the health officials and tell them, this, don't do this, this is a terrible idea, and you couldn't reach anybody. 
Well, we've been trying to reach them uh, for a lot of different things, including testing, <laughs> testing mm-hmm. kits. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we reached out to them at, that day through our um, New York Medical Directors Association, which is the uh, state chapter of the American Medical Directors Association, and and uh, registered with them our uh, concern about this. And we also offered to partner with them as the physicians that practice in these, uh, this environment to see if we could, uh, you know, bring our expertise to bear in the equation as we all tried to deal with this problem, but um, that that didn't meet with any any response. So, but but as far as testing is concerned, to this day, they talk about. I think you were even quoting uh, Nancy Pelosi that uh, test. What was it? Test. Oh, who uh, knows? Test. Who cares? I'm mocking her. Face and treat and isolate and so all so forth. To this, I think day, it's test, treat, trace, and ice cream, something like that. Right. Okay. So, again, to this day, they have not asked us, do you have adequate testing to meet the needs of your residents? And yet they're testing uh, transit workers, they're, they're testing the FDNY, they're testing the NYPD, which I have nothing against, by the way. That's, you know, the, those No, that's all are. good. But, but why do they keep skipping the nursing homes? What is it about the nursing homes that these fools don't get? And now they're going to unleash criminal and civil investigators. I mean... Uh, just what you don't need because you're trying to handle the uh, the consequences of these brilliant decisions. Elaine, keep in touch. I want to thank you for what you did and tried to do for your country and for all these frail senior citizens who really had nowhere to turn. Um, I think finally now you have uh, Goodwin writing about it in the Post. You have uh, others on cable starting to cover it. The New York Times did one article but has really not pressed the case. The New York Post is all over it, but it took a long time. And now we uh, honestly, this not only needs to get fixed, but people need to be held to account. Thank you very, very much, Elaine. Give us a call again. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. You know, uh, I look at this list of people at the New York Slimes, among others, who got the Pulitzer Prize, and I think to myself, they got the Pulitzer Prize, ladies and gentlemen, for being radical liberals. The crackpot who pushed the 1619 Project, other crackpots who got the Russia 
scandal wrong. The scandal is uh, what the Obama administration did with law enforcement and the intelligence agencies and what the media did to give aid and comfort to this kind of unprecedented lawlessness. And they get Pulitzer's for this. So I'm thinking to myself, we've done a hell of a job covering this pandemic from day one. I should get a Pulitzer, don't you think, Mr. Producer? I should get a Pulitzer for my coverage of the Wuhan, China, Corona, COVID-19 virus. I should get a Pulitzer. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? Let me end where I began. What exactly have most of these governors done, particularly in the blue states, to help the health and medical treatment of people in need in their states? And many of these uh, mayors, really nothing. Shuffling papers, shuffling resources, putting out edicts, shuttering businesses, unleashing law enforcement against innocent Americans. It's the doctors and the nurses, the technicians and the hospitals. It's the emergency personnel, the ambulance drivers. It's all those people. And all those people in that profession, the medical profession, that are the heroes. The politicians, in some cases, made very bad decisions that cost people lives. And Cuomo's one of the worst. And they're very much enjoying their quasi-martial law tactics against their citizens. Really getting their jollies, telling people they can't plant seeds for vegetables in the backyard. Or they can't surf in the Atlantic Ocean. Or they can't be in automobiles. Driving to their church, parking there in groups, even though they're hermetically sealed in these automobiles. Shutting down gun shops. Meanwhile, Walmart's open, Costco's open, McDonald's is open, your grocery stores and supermarkets are open, because the American people have tremendous ingenuity, creativity. We know how to mitigate, and we know how to live. We know how to mitigate, we know how to work. Meanwhile, Governor Cuomo has told people who volunteer in his state, you will be taxed for every day you were in that state. I thought he didn't care about money. You're going to pick large or you're going to pick a dollar bill? Trust me. The left is all about money and power. The vast majority of the governors, as best as I can tell, did very little for their people. Very little. And in some cases did tremendous damage. It was the President of the United States who was trying to fill their voids trying to coordinate with the private sector, trying to coordinate with the governors, the hospitals, the labs, the pharmaceutical companies. And, of course, he's attacked. Well, there'll be more tomorrow. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all you folks I just mentioned and more. Thank you for helping this country and helping your fellow man. And I'll see you tomorrow right here on the radio. God bless you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.